This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hey there, welcome to today's Positive Parenting Show. I'm Armin Brott. Like many parents, probably like most parents, Jennifer Tyler Lee struggled to get her kids to eat healthy, balanced meals. Then she discovered that the answer really is making it into a game. We'll try one new food each week, she told her kids. You pick. She called it the 52 New Foods Challenge, and pretty soon, surprisingly, her kids were clamoring for kale and brainstorming the best ways to cook Brussels sprouts. And believe it or not, you can do the same thing in your house. The key to making a change in the way that your family looks at food and prepares food and eats food, most importantly, really has to do with seeing things in a new light, changing your perspective. And that is hard. There's no question about it. But there is help. We're going to be speaking in this part of today's show with Jennifer Tyler Lee, who is the one who has created the 52 New Foods Challenge. We're going to focus on three things. Making it fun, how to end those battles over broccoli and bring back some of the joy of mealtime. And then we're going to talk about boosting variety, how to explore new foods and bust boredom at your family table, and how to cook together with kids of all ages, learning to cook with your kids, not for your kids. The goal in all of this is to help you stop stressing over mealtimes and find a creative, playful solution that can make family cooking and family eating relaxing and fun. We'll jump into our family cooking adventure when Positive Parenting continues right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brat, after this from the MrDad.com radio network. All right, class, let's hear what everyone did this weekend. Jill? Well, I raised my older sister to a big oak tree. It was at least a hundred years old. My mom said I must have set a record or something. And then we went down by a stream and perched up on this huge rock and saw all of these little minnows swimming around way below us. And then I rescued my little brother from an evil slug king who was guarding him at the bush fortress. And my sister and I brought him back to our super twig fort for safety. And then we all laid out and told stories until it got dark. And the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? Yeah. We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Anyone want to come this weekend? Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week and find the fun, adventurous you. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, And my guest for this part of today's show is Jennifer Tyler Lee, who's the author of 52 New Foods Challenge, a family cooking adventure for each week of the year with 150 recipes. And there is a second one, which we'll talk about too, which is a separate edition and... You can tell us about that in just a few minutes. But Jennifer, thanks for joining us. Great to have you here. Thanks so much for having me in Studio Arm, and it's great to be here. So let's talk a little bit about why something new every year. I mean, that, that in, in some ways, when you think, okay, that's great. You have, that should be a wonderful thing, great experience. But it puts a lot of pressure, I think, on people to have to do something new every week because, you know, so those of us who are busy with kids, it's like, oh, Wednesday is taco night or something. We do the same thing every week. That's it. So I completely understand once a week for an entire year can feel feel like a lot. But let's reframe this. This is part of a bigger problem. Parents are struggling to get their kids to eat real food. 
And that problem is leading, it's, it's part of really a massive health epidemic, right? We are in the middle of massive rates of diabetes and home cooking rates are at an all-time low. We need to make a change. Uh, parents know what, to ne- what we need to do, but we're not doing it. So what can we do to make this better? The 52 New Foods Challenge is, is aimed at solving that problem. So the idea is do one thing once a week, something really simple with your kids, set aside 30 minutes once a week and cook together. That kind of time not only helps them eat better, but sets them up for a lifetime of healthy habits. That that right there, okay, that sounds a little bit more manageable. Yeah, I can do that, right? <laughs> okay, better. And and so, but hold on, I have to ask, you have to further slice that a little thinner. Is that including prep time? So here's the beautiful oh, yeah. thing. Prepping vegetables, even if that's all you do in that 30 minutes, yeah. helps move you in the right direction. So what I talk about in the book is reframing cooking. I do it in a couple different ways. One is reframe cooking. Think of it like a craft activity. Okay. Right? 30 minutes at a low-down kid's table or maybe your kitchen table, and you set up the cooking project and let your kids lead. It's not about the perfect recipe. It's about letting them explore the ingredients together. Right? And so the other piece of reframing cooking is thinking about it more broadly. Cooking can go all the way back to the farmer's market or your garden. Going and finding a new food at the farmer's market can be part of the 30 minutes you spend that week. Or it could be 30 minutes prepping vegetables for the week ahead, tearing that kale and washing it and putting it into glass containers that you stack in your fridge, peeling the carrots, all those things are great experiences that help change the way that your kids eat. So if all you have time for in that 30 minutes is prep for the week ahead, that's still a huge benefit to your kids and your family. Okay. And how do you start taking into consideration diet, special diet kinds of things? There's so much of that is going on now. I actually just got, I have a friend who's a functional medicine doctor. And so she's, all of her suggestions have to do with the intestines. And so she said, you know what you need to do? You need to get on no gluten, no sugar, no dairy, no soy, which is, and I got to tell you, I feel absolutely fantastic. So I clearly had some problems with some of those things, but it's hard to shop for that, honestly. I mean, looking at packages, there's milk and wheat in everything. It can be. And one of the beauty, the the beauty in the plan that I've got here is that it's focused on whole fruits and vegetables, right? So most of the time you're buying something that's not even in the package, right? So we're avoiding that problem entirely. The second thing, though, is when you've got someone in your family who has a special need around their diet, whether it's because of a preference or whether it's because of a health issue, getting the whole family on board with that plan is really important. And I think the trick is to get everybody experimenting with some new ways to explore those foods together so that it's not just one person driving the agenda at the table. It's everybody getting on board. I think what this comes down to is how do you get your family engaged in changing the way that you eat? Because at the end of the day, we're eating too much packaged food. We're not cooking at home enough, right? Home cooking rates, right now, half of our meals are eaten outside of the home. And it's a big, big change from what it was a couple of generations ago. So how do we change that? Parents are busy. We don't have time. 
Um, setting aside this little bit of time once a week to do this with your kids. I talk about in the book how it's important to cook with your kids, not for your kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that that helps build this muscle because we're not teaching our children how to care for their bodies long term. And we need to find ways to make it easy for parents to do that. So mm-hmm. if you set aside this 30 minutes, right, in the same way that you would set aside 30 minutes to do a craft activity. Right. I, you know, I just think like the craft activity is a really great analogy because for, for the question I'm just going to ask you, 30 minutes with a 12-year-old or an 8-year-old, that's okay. But if you've got a 4-year-old, you're, you're going to end up having to spend 30 minutes cleaning up after what the kid is doing. And it can be, I would think, incredibly, well, actually, I know this from experience, incredibly frustrating. I mean, you want to do this. You want to get the meal on the table. And, yes, you'd like to have play, play a little bit with your child. But, you know what, let's just focus and try to get this thing done because I'm out of time. I've got projects. I, and, how, you know, so the craft activity, I think we would be more patient with a 4-year-old who is trying to cut paper dolls or something than we would be with a four-year-old who's throwing flour You're all over the place. You're hitting the nail on the head. That's exactly right. So you don't want to be doing this when you're trying to rush to get food on the table. That's probably the, the worst time to try something like this. But when you set aside dedicated time for your child and your goal is to help build their confidence and to inspire creativity and curiosity in your kids, mm-hmm. then you think about it in a totally different way. Um, we've we've run I've run a series of cooking classes actually some of them at Whole Foods, and what was interesting is we watched parents and and listened to what they were saying in those classes when they were doing a traditional recipe, and a lot of it is no 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 don't do that stop that let me let me do this part right in in many ways short circuiting yeah. what could be yeah. building a tremendous amount of confidence. In your child. So when you start to think about it in a different way and your goal is to let your kids explore and experiment where it's not really about the perfect recipe at the end, because in 30 minutes, what are you going to make? That what, What's a four-year-old going to make in 30 minutes that is actually going to be edible? Probably not a heck of a lot. But what you can do in those 30 minutes is inspire some curiosity and build that confidence because it's really not about I've got the perfect meal that everybody's going to eat at the end of that 30 minutes. It is about letting that child explore. And something simple like kale chips or Brussels sprouts chips. Brussels sprouts chips are one of my favorites. And I actually had a story from a parent last night who came to me said they made it in their preschool class. And it's her daughter was just so proud because she could do it herself. It's so simple. All you need to do, cut the end of the Brussels sprout off with with a knife. Now, mm-hmm. if you're so not you comfortable with that as a parent, and then they start peeling feathers, them apart. Yeah. Right. And if you're not comfortable with a knife as a parent, that's totally fine. I think you want to build towards that because kids are really capable when we give them the opportunity to do this. Well, we'd have them start cutting something a little softer than a Brussels sprout. I mean, that's that's a recipe for chopping off fingers right there. You could so pretend, right. You could potentially start with something easier like kale. Something. Well, yeah. kale doesn't even require any, right. any yeah. knives, right? You're just tearing the leaves off, tossing them in the pan. And that's that's a way for them to start. It's building this confidence. Wanted to ask you a quick question about getting the kids involved in shopping. Do you are you a, a fan of that? Because it seems like, especially with younger ones and especially with ones who might be picky, that if you can say, "Hey, you pick out the the you know, 
the stuff that we're going to be using from this particular section of the grocery store, it's going to increase the chance they're going to be into making it and into eating it. That is. It's, it, I, for a long time, I would hire a babysitter so that I could go shopping because I couldn't deal with going through <laughs> the grocery aisle together. So I completely understand that. But when you, again, reframe it, Think about it like a game. What One easy thing that you can do with your kids is challenge them to fill the cart with color. And someone who's two could even do this. So what they do is they go to the produce aisle and they're finding five different colors to put in your cart. A lot of times what will happen too, you'll find you pick the same thing over and over, yeah. right? It's green beans, it's green broccoli, it's green apples. Even just mixing up things that you normally purchase with a new color is helping to build this idea that we have variety on our table. Kids can do that in the Mm -hmm. grocery store. You can also challenge them to find the one new thing that they would like to explore that week. And that can be cooking it. It can be bringing it home and washing it. It can be cutting it up. It can be finding some new fun adventure. Talking with Jennifer Tyler Lee, who's the author of The 52 New Foods Challenge, a family cooking adventure for each week of the year with 150 recipes. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll keep talking with Jennifer. Okay, forest animals, today is a new day. Kids are coming to the forest, and it's up to us to make their visit a good one. Sparrow. Yes? Have you practiced the most popular bird songs for the year? Of course. Catchy. I like it. Okay, river. Dude. How's the temperature? It's a refreshing 52 degrees, man. Perfect for a little riverside shoeless relaxation. Ah, good. Owl, you hear? Course. Who's asking? I am. Look, you know the drill. Sleep during the day, scare the kids at night. Perfect. I love my job. Uh, oak tree? What's up? Still in the same place I left you last year. That's what I like. Consistency. Well, it's not like I'm going anywhere for the next couple hundred years. I know. I love it. Uh, turtle. Turtle. He's not here yet, man. He's late every morning. You'd think you would have learned by now to leave the night before our meetings. Okay. Squirrel. Has anybody seen Mr. Squirrel? The forest has been preparing just for you. Visit a forest near you today. To learn more about cool things to do in the forest, visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. I'm four years old, and I'm the only one in my whole class that can tie his own shoes. My mom took me to the circus for my birthday. Half my friends already went, but now I've gone too. Most kids make fun of me because I still believe in the tooth fairy. But I got five bucks yesterday, I believe. A third of the kids in my eighth grade class drink alcohol regularly. Over 99% of my class has been offered illegal drugs. Half of my college classmates binge drink, abuse drugs, or do both. But the frequent dinners I had with my family have helped make sure I'm not one of them. Go to casafamilyday.org, take the Family Day Pledge, and get tips on how to talk to your kids about drugs and alcohol. Have dinner with them often, and you can significantly lower their risk of substance abuse. Dinner makes a difference. A message from the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse at Columbia University. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. If you're just joining us, talking with Jennifer Tyler Lee, who's the author of the 52 New Foods Challenge, family a family cooking adventure for each week of the year. Jennifer, thanks for coming in again. It's always delightful to have people in the studio. So tell us a little bit about the challenge. Now, how you're... Let's, let's set that up and get into some of those things. You, you gave a little tease for it before, so now we got to do it. That's it. So the idea is, how do we make it easy for families to change the way that we eat. So together, take on one new food, right? You don't have to do this even for every week of the year, but even if you commit to do it 
say for a month or, or even just do it this week. Trying one new food takes the stress off of all the things that are happening at the table and starts to help make this a fun game, help make this an adventure and put your kids in charge. So a lot of what I talk about in the book is finding ways to let your kids lead. It's a really core principle that I have in the book and really what it comes down to is an educational philosophy. And the idea is if you put your kids in charge, if you let them choose one new food to try and explore that together, then they're going to have the incentive to try something new. They're going to feel the confidence uh, that comes with exploring and experimenting. So the idea with once a week is kind of based on this idea of micro habits. If you try to change everything in your family all at once, sure, most likely that's not going to be sustainable. Well, it's right? the thing like I'm going to lose 100 pounds. That's it. So most you're going to lose two pounds this week. It's why most diet plans fail because you try to change everything in your life and you may be able to sustain that for a week or two weeks or maybe if you're lucky a month, but eventually all those old habits are going to start to creep in. So the the idea to establish long-lasting change for anybody, for parents or for kids, is to take small steps all moving in the right direction. Now, the other thing I would say is new doesn't have to be some scary new vegetable in, in the produce aisle. <laughs> Something that you've never tried before. Right. So it, right. Sometimes it is, and that's fine. But new can also be a familiar food prepared in a new way. A good example of this might be apples. Most kids will eat apples, but having fun slicing them and baking them into apple chips is okay. another fun way to try a food that regularly shows up on your table in a new way. Again, it goes back to this idea of helping your kids learn, helping everyone in your family learn, that the key to health is variety and changing things up on your plate is a good thing to do. We've been talking a lot about whole vegetables and and fruits. What are you what are you putting in there for protein? Because that that it seems like in in some ways kids will eat more of, particularly if it's breaded. Well, and the book is is really aimed at how do you build more variety on your plate. So mm -hmm. we're we're kind of good with the protein and the carbs in most households, right? Right, carbs in particular. And so, but how do we add more colors? Because when you look at the data, we are not parents and kids are not eating anywhere near enough oh, no. fruits no, and not vegetables. Even close. Not it's even terrible. close. Yeah. Not even close. So what do we do to build that side of the plate, right? And make those colors half of your plate. How do we get there? A lot of times when you're introducing something new on the table, what you don't want to do is short order cook. So you need something on that table that's a recipe you know your kids are going to eat. And there's several of them in there. Many of them are proteins. I call them workhorse recipes because they do the job for me, right? Okay. They show up on the table. The kids are going to eat it. Um, so now there are some vegetables in there that are also good sources of protein, some beans like chickpeas. Mm -hmm. um, we're challenging to get my kids to try. So that's one that's on there. That's another good source of protein, especially if you're going more plant-based foods. Um, but that's generally how I deal with protein in the book. Because really, it's about how do we build out the colors on our plate. And mm -hmm. I, I also call them colors for a very specific reason. When you, when you talk about vegetables, generally kids will turn up their noses. Right. Uh, 
there's actually some new research that shows that when you call something healthy, kids are less likely. Oh, to yeah. Eat. I saw that. Yeah. Any parent would not it's... be surprised by that. <laughs> but but um, I call them colors for a very specific reason. Colors are part of a kid's language. They mm-hmm. get it when you talk about colors. That evokes feelings of fun, fun times at preschool. Um, and when you talk about vegetables, they generally... Right resist. So, so here, focusing on colors is a good good way so to go. So I'm curious about this, just as you're saying colors. Have you ever dealt with colorblind kids? Because I'm, I'm actually curious about, we, since they're not seeing the same range of colors we are, whether everything looks bland to them, or, or how, do you, how do you deal with them? And they're mostly boys. Uh, well, that's really, it's a really interesting question, and I would love to see how that data lines up, if that actually makes an impact on the way those kids eat. And that's something I'm going to have to follow back up with you about, because that is a really, <laughs> really cool question. I start looking into I that myself, I like that. Too. No, I think that's great. But, you know, even when it's not color, it can be texture. Right, right. Well, that's the thing that I think that kids respond to more than anything is the texture of something in their mouth. If they they get it in their mouth, even if they don't like the way that it looks and it feels good— they're okay with it. Well, but if, you, you know, something's beautiful and you think, oh, they're going to love this and they get it in there and it's too crunchy or too soft or too slimy or whatever, no. Well, and so I think that's, this is a really important point. What we need to do is explore and experiment with lots of different tastes and textures, textures being really important. So a great example is with my daughter and cauliflower. We tried cauliflower a bunch of different ways. We tried it roasted, which was, I thought, delicious. We tried it as a soup. None of these things seemed to work. And she came home from the school garden all excited, sharing about a story that she had tried cauliflower in the garden raw. And I just could, I was absolutely floored. The taste of raw cauliflower is not appealing to me at all. The texture is not appealing to me at all. But that is exactly the point. What works for me may not work for her. And so as a parent, you need to experiment with Mm -hmm. lots of different textures to see what works with your kids. Brussels sprouts is another really good example. The reason why we created the Brussels sprouts chips recipe, which are these, it's, it's kind of a riff on kale chips, but the idea was building on what a texture that my daughter liked. So she would pick out the leaves when we would slice Brussels sprouts in half and roast them in the oven. She would just pick out the leaves because that's the part that she liked, the crispy, crunchy, mm, okay. delicious part. She didn't so it's a much. a great discovery, yeah. And, and so we said, what would happen if we created an entire recipe based on your preference for the texture of crispy leaves? And, and those Brussels sprout chips, she eats them straight from the pan. So, again, exploring and experimenting to see what might work for your child is really important. It's just like how you would, how you would teach them anything else, how you would teach them math or reading. You've got to find out what works for them. Yeah. So we only have about a minute and a half or two minutes left. To tell us a little bit about the other version of the 52 New, new Foods Challenge that is going to be in Williams-Sonoma. Yes, all, thanks. All over the place. We are so excited about the book releasing at Williams-Sonoma. <laughs> That's happening at the end of December. And uh, they have their own exclusive edition of the book, which is super exciting. And we'll be hosting cooking classes for kids across the country, recipes based on the book. This idea that together as a family, you can have a lot of fun 
exploring and experimenting and it doesn't need to be a complicated recipe it can be something very simple but putting your kids in charge of picking something new we're going to start out in january with something called blender bar which is you take a base recipe for a smoothie um and then you let your kids personalize it and choose what they want to add as a new food to try it's it's great fun and and then they all get to trade it it's just it's a it's it's a great way to engage your kids. Great. Okay. So, and then you got to tell us, since we're working sort of backwards in time, just briefly, Crunch a Color, a healthy eating game. What's What was that? That's how you got started. Right. Crunch a Color was exactly how we got started. My daughter, when she was two, ate everything. By the time she was going into kindergarten, was eating mac and cheese and peas. And it was very challenging to get her to eat any colors. So... I quite literally created this game in our kitchen table. It was initially based on index cards. And the idea is very simple. You get points for produce. Um, so, for example, kale would be worth five points. Kale is worth, or kiwi is worth five points. Kale is worth 15 bonus points for trying something new. So it's it's a way of getting you out of that intractable place with your children when there is a tremendous amount of stress and a control issue at your table. It puts them in charge of making their own healthy choices and gives them a fun way to do that and stealthily teaches them what a balanced plate looks like. We've been talking with Jennifer Tyler Lee, who's the author of the 52 New Foods Challenge, a family cooking adventure for each week of the year. There's also another version of it, slightly different cover, that is going to be at Williams-Sonoma, and you should definitely check out Crunch a Color, a healthy eating game. Got a website? Yes, 52newfoods.com. I hope you'll check it out. Numbers. Yes, 50, the number 52, newfoods.com. Thanks, Jennifer. Hi, I'm Ryan Seacrest for RAD. Over 300 people in this country are killed every week by a drunk driver. That's the equivalent of two 747 plane crashes every single week. And the problem isn't going away unless we all do our part to stop it. So if you see someone who's about to drive after drinking, get the keys. Don't leave it up to anyone else. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. A public service announcement brought to you by RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah. Street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! <gasps> it's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. And wanted to jump right into today's Ask Mr. Dad column because there are getting to be so many of these things and want to get in as many as we can. Dear Mr. Dad, I've been reading your columns for quite a few years and you frequently talk about how important it is to read to children. Now with all the emphasis on literacy, I think we're forgetting about writing. When I was in school, we had classes in penmanship, but my preschooler and kindergartner aren't learning it at all. Is writing even necessary anymore? In a word, absolutely. Not all that long ago, we used to talk about the three R's. Remember those? Reading, writing, and arithmetic, which are the fundamental skills that are taught in school. But as you've noticed, the second R, which is writing, has pretty much fallen by the wayside. In fact, over the past few years, schools all around the country have stopped teaching cursive altogether, and a growing number of children are doing their homework, including writing papers and essays, all online without touching a pen at all. According to a new study, the percentage of children using tablets has doubled in the past two years alone and now includes 75% of children under 8 and nearly 40% of kids under 2. 
Now, some people are saying that with all that technology, there's really no needs for kids to learn how to write at all anymore, right? I see the point, and I get that typed assignments are a lot easier for teachers to read. But at the risk of sounding like an old fogey, I think writing is a very important skill, the actual mechanics of writing. And there's getting to be a lot of research on this to back me up. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a big, big fan of technology. But another recent study found that kids are using tablets so much that it's actually hindering their development. A group of researchers at the American Academy of Pediatrics says that when kids spend huge amount of time interacting with tablets and don't get enough hands-on paper and pencil time, their hand-eye coordination suffers, and so does their muscle strength. Oh, but that's not all. As we all know, there is a direct correlation between a child's reading ability and the size of his or her vocabulary and future academic and career successes. That's according to Dorit Aram, who's a researcher at Tel Aviv University. So how does making marks on paper actually help with literacy? It's actually fascinating, I think. Before a child writes anything down, she first has to come up with an idea of what to write. That stimulates thinking and planning skills and reinforces vocabulary. Then the child has to think about the sounds each letter or combination of letters makes. It's a process that's called decoding. And he or she has to decide which letters to write down and in which order. Good decoding skills are absolutely essential to good reading skills. In another study, the same researcher, Dorit Aram, found that three to five-year-olds who, besides being read to, also were learning about letters and were encouraged to write, they've got far better literacy skills than preschoolers who were only read to. Overall, she says, children's word writing skills at the end of kindergarten uniquely predict children's literacy skills, including spelling, reading, comprehension, and oral reading as they get older. One of the most important components here is parent involvement. We cannot forget that and cannot underestimate that at all. Kids whose parents encourage them to write and help with letter formation and decoding, they write more, they spell better, they have better reading skills than those whose parents aren't as involved. So the bottom line here, if your kids aren't learning to write, help them. They may not appreciate it now, but they'll thank you later. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.